Um, so they told me about the series Helping the Next Gen Win. And a couple guys said, you know, you're not that famous, so you might have to give a few stats about yourself. So as Evan said, my name's John, so here's a few stats. Uh, this year, my wife, Debbie, and I have been married uh, 41 years. So thank you. Two applauses. Thank you. And uh, I will tell you that our 41st year has been uh, the hardest year of our lives. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes in the message. Uh, we have four married children that are all in their mid to late 30s. So they're all coming into the midlife, right? And so when you're coming into midlife, you know, like when life is not working like you thought it was, the first place you look back is as, at your parents, like, hey, how come my life is not working out? So we're in those conversations with my kids. Some of my kids are here. And then I have, I just had my 13th grandbaby yesterday, Everly Ray. Yeah, three applauses. Let's see if we can get some more. And I have a couple of my grandsons and granddaughters sitting right here on the front row looking at pops. They've never seen me here before, so they're wondering what in the world's going on. I've been here uh, tomorrow. I've been here 15 years. I've been working in the married community groups. In the last five years, uh, I've been working in this thing called Seven, Seven Questions that rattle in the minds of most men. I love it. We've had a bunch of guys go through it. And that's where I spend most of my days uh, listening to the stories of men, uh, wanting to be a better man, wanting to help men get better. And that's what I get to do. And I got a call from my friend, Bill Willits, the guy that hired me 15 years ago. He's my boss's 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 boss now. And he calls me yesterday and he says, hey, Woody, he calls me Woodsy. He goes, hey, Woodsy. He said, uh, no angry face tomorrow. Let's not do the angry face. Now, you that have been around and have heard me through the years, apparently, like when I get excited, I look angry. I get this look on my face. Like, you know, you're going to be thinking, is this dude angry? No, this is my passionate look. Like, <laughs> it's very difficult for me for 30 minutes to say, hey, everybody, I want to talk to you about the next generation and help the next generation win. So if you don't mind, if you see me like this in about 10 minutes, just give me a little bit of slack. He's passionate about this and I'm super excited. So let's do this. Let's talk about helping the next gen win. And if we're going to do that, let's talk about the generations. In the room, we have all kinds of generations. Uh, we've heard about generations through the years. You might think you're Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, something you don't know. But let's kind of do a little review if we're going to help the next gen win. So Here's an image. This is called what generation? Yeah, let me hear from the greatest generation. The greatest generation, and this was from 1930 to 1946. And Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation because they went into war and they didn't go because they had to. They went in because they wanted to. Just an incredible generation. Do we have any of the greatest generation from 1930, 1946? Do we have any of the greatest generation here? I said, do we have any? Oh, I'm kidding. Okay. I'm messing. Okay. Okay. I'm counting. We got four. Man, I'm coming back. All right. Let's look in the next one. So uh, which one is this? The baby boomers. Baby boomers were 1946 to 1964. I'm in this. I was born in 54. I'm 62 years old. And the reason we were called baby boomers is because the soldiers came back from the wars. They missed their ladies. 
And there was this spike, and I'm not kidding, all of a sudden the baby boomers were. Then here's the next one. Uh, you might see that, Nirvana, the police. Who is this? Gen X. That would be our Gen X. Uh, a lot of things have been said about these folks. The next one here. Um, yep. So who would these people be doing all the selfies? These would be the millennials. Yeah. Looky here. Look here. I was at an event the other night. The speaker, he gets up right at the man night. We had a thousand guys here the other night. He gets up with his phone. He's doing a selfish, a selfie with the crowd. So where's my phone? How to do that? I, I, apparently that's what happens. Okay. The last one then look at this. Yeah, who's this? These are my grandkids. And uh, these have been referred to as Generation Z. You know, they're growing up with a screen. I have two-year-old grandsons that I say, hey, will you show pops how to, how to turn this thing on or off? I don't even know how to shut the sound off. And they're doing this at two. So those would be sort of a review of the generations. Now, We're doing a series called Helping the Next Gen Win. So you may have heard me say that you rise or fall on your definitions. We're going to define a couple of things here today. So we need to define for our conversation for the next four weeks this question, who is the next gen? If we're going to help the next gen win, who is that? Now, some of you who have seen this series coming... Uh, you automatically thought, well, it's the millennials or it's Generation Z. And that's not the definition that we want to use for the series over the next four weeks. The definition of next gen in our series is this, is anyone who is coming behind you or anyone who's coming after you or anyone that's in a different season than you. For example, you may have been single for a number of years Then you've recently gotten married. You're the same age as that other single person, but now you're in a different season and they may be behind you in that particular season. So when we talk about the next gen going forward, these four weeks, we're talking about anybody that's behind you. In other words, this conversation is not for 60 year old people or 50 year old people or 40 year old people. But you can be 20, you can be in college having somebody behind you. You can be in high school having a middle schooler coming behind you. The next gen is that whole spectrum of people that are coming behind us, okay? Now, the second definition that we want to have for this as we get into this is if we're going to help the next gen win, what is our definition of win? What would winning be? Now, I'm aware that I could stay for the next several minutes just on this part of the uh, the topic. Because some of you have come back to church and you're sitting here today because life has not worked out the way that you thought it would. Somebody invited you to church. It's like maybe there's an answer there. I'll go. I'll check it out. But what is your definition of when? If you grew up in my generation, some of the things that I heard, that I told myself or that were taught to me, is that if you get a good education, you can get a good job, you can get a good house, you can get a good spouse, you can get some good kids, 
maybe. I'm still working on that. Uh, you could get another house. You could get another spouse. And he or she who dies with the most toys wins. And some of you have had that definition of winning in life and you're sitting here and you know it in some level of quiet desperation that he who died with the most toys did not win. There's a level of dissatisfaction and you would not necessarily call it a, a deep, satisfying winning in this life. So, so what is winning? So one idea that we want to put up here is that winning is not necessarily improving a standard of living. You remember some of the things that, that you heard or some things that you're, you're telling your children coming up? Uh, maybe you didn't have running water in your house and you want to have running water in your house. Maybe you didn't have a car growing up, so you want two cars for your kids. In other words, you want something better for your kids. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not standing up here putting anybody's standard of living down. I, I drove an Impala, Chevy Impala, for how long, Deb? Ten years, maybe? And I just bought a Buick. Man, it's awesome. I'm not here giving Buick commercials, but I had no problem upgrading one car to another. I was in a 1,000-square-foot house. I'm in a bigger house than that now. I'm not against you and me improving our standard of living. But we're not saying that winning is improving our standard of living. What we're going to suggest today as we start off is that winning is actually providing a standard for living. Nothing wrong necessarily with improving a standard of living, but we're talking about providing a standard for living for the next generation. Now, what I would like to do for the next few minutes is I would like to propose one idea from the Bible, of, of course, I mean, you've come to church, I'm a pastor, and I'm going to offer you one idea from what I know best. Honestly, I could, I could give you a hundred ideas on helping the next gen win, just things that I've collected for the last 62 years of my life. But I want to give you one idea, and I want to pick it up from the psalm in the Old Testament, which is Psalm 78. Now, I brought my Bible up here, and I want you to look up here for a second more as an illustration. This is a Bible. It's a, um, it's a book, but some of you have never seen a Bible in the book form. You have version, you have Bible Hub, you have some other Bible gateway, but some of you have a book uh, called the Bible. Um, you know, this is my old Bible. And the reason that I brought it for illustration is when you open the center of your book and of your Bible, right in the center, you will be in the book of Psalms. It's not Palms, it's Psalms. <laughs> Psalm 78 is one of the longest Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalm 119 is the longest. And the reason that it's at the center of the Bible is you have a whole first half of this book that deals with ancient Old Testament history of Israel. The writer of this Psalm, Psalm 78, his name is Asaph. And Asaph lived at the time of King David. David was the second king of Israel, about a thousand years BC, and he was in the court of King David. You can read this anywhere on Old Testament history. And Asaph's writing in the 
nugget that he's going to give us on providing a standard for living is right dead center in our Bibles, okay? Now, this is what he begins to say. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. He starts out at verse 1, and he says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching and listen to the words of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Now, I'm telling you today that I'm reading you something that's a thousand years old, written a thousand years B.C., and when he's talking about things from of old, he's referring to Israeli history, the history of the Jewish people, even a few hundred years before that. So he's going back 12, 13, 1400 BC. That's where this is coming from. He says in the next phrase, he says, what uh, we're going to uh, tell you what we have heard, what we have known and what our fathers have told us. Let's stop right there for a second. I could stop right here and spend the rest of the message on this. What our fathers have told us. Now, some of you, half of you in this room grew up without a father. Half of our homes don't have men in them. And so you're sitting there thinking what our fathers have told us. I didn't even have a father. My father wasn't around. The other half of you that had a father, a percentage of those fathers were silent men. Men are given to silence. Another talk later, but they were silent. They didn't teach you anything. They didn't tell you anything. You were on your own. And then some of you, another percentage, you are sitting here today actually unraveling what you heard your father say. That's why I say, I I know what it was like at 43 years old when I went into my midlife crisis and I started thinking about what my father said and didn't say. And I had to do a lot of catch up in that. And that's where some of you are today. But Asaph was saying, we're going to tell you what we've heard and known and what our fathers have told us. And and I don't want to press too heavy in on the men yet. But this is whether it's a father or mother or grandfather or grandmother. It's what have you known and what have you heard and what are you going to tell us? He says the next verse. He says, we will not hide them from their children and we will tell the next generation. The whole series, Helping the Next Generation when came out of this passage. Jeff Henderson had this idea to tell the next generation, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell them. Now, before I, sh- before I show you what Asaph told them, let me ask you a question. What's been told to you? What do you tell beyond the daily things of brush your teeth and And say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, no, sir. Say please and thank you. You know, don't forget to say your prayers. What else was told to you, or do you tell? And Asaph said, this is what our fathers have told us, and this is what we want to pass on to the next generation. He said, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord in his power and the wonders that he has done. I could almost stop right here on verse 5 because what Asaph is recalling is Old Testament history. The history of the Jewish people. Read Psalm 78 tonight or tomorrow or this week and he's referring back to the power and the wonders of God delivering the Jewish people out of Egypt, splitting the Red Sea, supplying food for them 40 years in the wilderness, splitting open the rocks and, and giving gushing water, all pictures of Jesus Christ coming in the New Testament. 
Now, some of you might have been coming back to church and go, I don't believe that stuff. That's okay. You're on a journey. I'm on a journey. But this guy was saying, we're going to tell the next generation the power and the wonders and the deeds of God and what he's done in, in our past. And he said, there's, for, there's a reason for this. He said that he would tell them that we would, next one, he says that, that he decreed statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel, which he commanded the forefathers to teach their children. So you see, you got two things going on here, helping the next generation. They're going to tell something. What are you telling the next generation? We're going to tell them about the deeds and the power and the wonders of God. And then he says, we're going to teach them. What are you teaching today? What have you been taught? What are you trying to be untaught and unlearned? And he says that we would teach the decrees and the the laws of God that he put down. And he said he decreed these things to teach so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and that they would in turn tell their children. Now let me just say something here. If you're in the educational world, this is a beautiful thing that's going on in Psalm 78. There's four generations that are happening. What Asaph just identified was the grandparents that are telling parents, that are telling children, that are telling grandchildren the wonders and the power of God and the laws and the decrees that God has given his people. They were providing their children a standard for living, not just a standard of living. And the reason they told them and the reason they taught them is it said, then they would. There's a result. There's a standard for living that in telling something and in teaching something, then they would do something. There's three things that he mentions in verse seven. He says that they would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So when we're talking about a standard here, if we're going to help the next generation, here's what we want to do. Next, next slide. We want to help provide them a standard for living rather than a standard of living. And when we talk about this standard for living, he mentions three things, putting trust in God, not forgetting, and keeping his commands. Now just think about it. Just those three things, okay? We're in a nation, right? We're in a country that says, in God we trust. Yeah, you have it on your money, in God we trust. You have it on your bumper sticker, in God we trust. I went to the DMV to get my license tag, and they asked me, do you want this banner, in God we trust? And I found myself standing there, and I said, uh, no, thank you. And I walked away and I thought, what what is that about? I mean, I'm a pastor in a local church. Why wouldn't I put in God we trust on my car? And it just made me wonder, like, what am I really trusting in? What are you trusting in? He said that they would put their trust in God and that they would not forget his deeds and that they would keep his commands. If you said, wow, what commands? Okay, look up here one more time at the middle of the book. He said, keep his commands. Here's half the book, Asaph's talking right here. In the first half of the book, he said that they would keep their commands. And you go, man, that's an awfully big book. What commands? I would suggest to us today, why don't we start with the first 10? Some of you know the first three or three of the 10. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, 
Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, no other gods, no idols, don't misuse my name in vain. Take 24 hours off every seven days and keep that holy. Remember to honor your father and your mother and stop spreading slander and false testimony against your neighbors and remember not to covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his things. He said that they would keep their commands. That's the first half of the book. But Jesus has come back here in the second half of the book and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is providing the next generation a standard for living, that we would put our trust in God, not forget his deeds, and that we would keep his commandments, that we would be lovers and students of a book where he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the way, and this is how it can work. That's providing a standard for living. Now, if give you a couple ideas as we wrap up here in helping the next generation I just want to give you three quick ideas. The first one, if you say, all right, I'm thinking I want to help the next generation. The very first thing I think for all of us to consider is to choose to help the next gen. Now, I want to stay on this for a minute because this is actually bigger than you think. Some of you have come into this place and you have lived the first half of your life or you have lived a decade, you have lived a period of time where it has been about you the most, right? It's been more of a self-centered type of world versus an other-centered. Today may be the day that you choose to help another generation more than you're focusing on yourself and your particular needs. Why? Because here's what I know about every man and every woman in this church and the churches all around is that you and I were made to receive and give love. We were never made to receive love and keep love. It's to receive it and give it. And you and I were made in the image of God to make a difference on the planet. And you and I will never make a difference on our own, all focused here. But the difference that we will make is when we turn toward others and we choose to help the next gen win. Here's a second idea. Not only choose to help, but write it down. Uh, some of you might be like me. I'm obsessive, compulsive journaler. I write everything down. Uh, my wife says, I love you. I write that down. Because uh, I, I want to remember that. I don't want to forget it. My wife writes nothing down. You're probably not writing anything down now either. Uh, hurts my feelings. Um, Some of you are sitting here thinking, man, you don't know me. You don't know my story. I don't, want, I don't have anything to write now. I had a seven leader, seven table leader a couple of years ago. He was in his 70s. He didn't even think that he could lead a table of six or seven men talking about questions that mattered. And he was in his 70s. He goes, man, you don't know my story. You don't know my life. And then he started to recognize that he had learned a lot over life. And he, he ended up saying to me, he goes, hey, I want you to use me as a good, bad example. <laughs> you know, some of you are sitting here as a really good, bad example. Uh, you know where half of your wisdom comes from? I know, I know some people have accused me of being wise. Um, you know where half of the wisdom comes from? By never repeating stupid mistakes I made in the first half of my life. And that's how it is for you. you. It's like, 
I can tell you, do not do that. Write that down. And here's a couple of categories that may help you. In seven, in week five, when we ask, why am I here? We talk about the big five. I talk about my big five as a man, as a man, a husband, a father, a business guy, a church guy. These are five categories of the roles. Now, I recognize that half of the audience here, you're not married, you may not have kids, but you have life lessons that need to be written down. Things that you have learned for those that are coming behind you, whether you're a high schooler telling a middle schooler not what to do, whether you're in college working with a high schooler, you take some of these categories of what you're learning, even from your own family. If you don't have a family yet, there are things that you are learned, that you've learned from your family, like I will not repeat that in my family. Write that down. Pass that on to the next generation. And then the last one here is just be the vision. Be the vision. Let me explain. Be the example. Uh, be a model. Be the vision. I said to you at the top of this talk that this year has been the hardest year of our, our lives, bar none. Uh, in April, we buried our second grandbaby uh, in two years. No child should bury a child. Uh, it's so out of order. It's so mixed up. Um, and when courage drowned and when he died, it, it brought so much death and devastation and destruction in and around my family. We're still in recovery. We're only six months out of this. And I'm sitting on the front porch with my wife just two or three weeks ago. And I, I feel like I was losing it in some way in my mind. It's like I was saying things to her one morning, like, I, I don't know what the vision is. I, I don't know what I'm going to tell men from here on out. I don't know what the next vision is. I can't cast any compelling vision, was my comment to her. And I'll never forget it because she turned to me in that moment. She said, John, you don't need to tell anybody the vision. You just need to be the vision. You need to be the vision of a man who's trusting God when you're ready to cash it in and break faith with him. You need to be the man that's remembering all the things that God has done in the last 62 years of our life. You need to be the man that is continuing to follow God in his word, especially in this time. And some of you today just need to be the vision of trusting God, not yourself, of not forgetting all that he's done so far and just keeping your hope in him and keeping his word. If you love him, you'll keep his commands. You want to help the next gen? Choose to help, write it down, and be the vision. I could tell you 50 stories of this generational thing that I've seen. I've been doing this kind of work for 40 years, and I've heard hundreds of stories. But in the last couple of weeks, I heard a story of generations that I want you to hear about. I want to introduce you to my friends, Tim and Tony Strickland, their son Taylor, and their dog Axel, or the, the rear of their dog, Axel. <laughs> I met Tim... Um, Years ago, we met over some man stuff. We both have a burden to be better men, to help men become better husbands and fathers. So we connected years ago 
over stuff like that. And then I met his beautiful wife a couple of years ago. My wife and I did a marriage retreat and they came and I met Tony and um, this is Taylor, their son. He's 23 here. And this is a couple that understood and understands what I just talked about the last 30 minutes. Uh, they told Taylor of God's power in his wonders. They taught Taylor the Bible, the commands. They walked it. He was the vision. They, they saw all this. And as a result of this, uh, next slide, Taylor in his group, this is Taylor, at 15 years old, Taylor is working with these sixth graders, these middle schoolers. Here's Tim Baker and EC. These are a couple of Strickland's buddies. So the three of them are now into the generation. You're tracking with me? Here's Tim and Tony. And they're pouring it into Taylor, who at 15 says, I'm going to help the next gen by helping guys behind me. He's in 10th grade helping sixth graders. You're following the story? So these guys, the sixth graders, grow up to be high schoolers, uh, looking like typical males on a beach looking for females, um, you know. But these guys from sixth grade, man, it's amazing what happens when you get through puberty, isn't it? Look how handsome they are. Uh, these guys then went back and poured into another generation. So here's Tim and Tony, and they get Taylor. Taylor gets sixth graders. Those sixth graders grow up to 10th grade, and then they come back, and they're working with sixth graders. Isn't that amazing? Taylor's only 23 years old. Helping the next gen win. Well, two weeks ago, you said, how do you know this story, John? Well, two weeks ago, I get a call from Tim one morning. He texts me. He says, call me. It's important. He doesn't text me that way. I called him immediately. And he said, my, my son Taylor has been killed. Two weeks ago, I was invited to do the memorial and the funeral of Taylor Allen Strickland, 23 years old, August 93 to September of 2016. It's a story like I haven't seen in a long time. And when I was at the funeral, when I was at the memorial service, these guys, all from his sixth grade group, showed up to do eulogies to a 15-year-old middle school guy that got the vision to help the next gen win who they grew up and then they helped the next gen and now they came back. I was sitting in a funeral service of over 300, 400 people celebrating the life and times of Taylor Allen Strickland and he wasn't even 24 years old yet. <laughs> you want to help the next gen win? Provide for them a standard for living rather than just improving the standard of living. Because here's what you're going to find when you choose to help, when you be the vision, when you write these things down, and you make a decision whether you're 15, 25, 35, 45, 85. Not only will you discover that you will help the next gen win, but you and I win in the process. Will you join us on the journey? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this series. Thank you for 
uh, just your word that told us many, many years ago to tell the generations to come the praises and the power and the wonders of you, to talk about your law and keeping your commands. Thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. And thank you for raising up people like Tim and Tony Strickland that caught this vision, that poured into their son, who poured into other sons and other sons and other sons. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. So Lord, over the next few weeks, would you just change our minds about being other focused so that we can help the next gen win. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great uh, afternoon, great week. Good to see you.